I can tell. Okay, you know, people grow. Some people even grow up. It's true. Everybody grows at their own pace. Some people grow quickly. Some people grow slowly. Some people grow like stair-stepping, you know. They make a lot of progress, and then they just hang there for a while. Did anyone ever challenge you to grow spiritually? No one ever challenged me to grow spiritually. I came to Christ as a, a child, and for eight years, nothing happened. Oh, I went to church, yeah. I, I sat there, I heard sermons, went to some Sunday school classes. But as I think back, did I actually grow? I, in honesty, can tell you, I really don't think so. I, I learned some things. I may have memorized a few verses, that sort of thing. But I never really felt like I grew. Do you think back to your childhood, and are there some things that maybe you didn't learn from your parents that now you wish you would have? Is there things that maybe you learned from your parents that you wish would have, you wouldn't have? <laughs> Growth takes place in people's lives if they're willing to face their issues, pursue the knowledge, and implement it. Are you growing spiritually? And that's what this New Year's message is about today, is about pursuing spiritual growth. Parents, when you had that baby, and I remember all four times holding my babies and looking at them, and I thought to myself, especially with the first one, I looked at Larissa and I said to myself, I wonder who this is going to be in 17 years. And that 17-year mark came, and I looked Larissa right in the eye, and I told her this story, and I said, look at you. Look at you. What a wonderful person she is. Now she's off in Germany. She's 22. You know, and I have a 19-year-old, and I have a 17-year-old, and I have a 10-year-old. And what a gift they are. Now, when you had that baby, what did you think? Did you think, did you think to yourself, wow, how am I going to invest in this child? How am I going to help this child grow? Of course you did. And every parent knows that those first stages of growth is, is just incredible, isn't it? Like almost on a daily basis, it seems like those babies change. And it's just fun to be there and to watch it and to, be, to, to somehow be part of that growth and to think, wow, God. What a miracle to be able to have this child in our lives and to help this child to nurture it and to help it grow. And then they reach that age around 18, and you didn't think, you didn't think, boy, I hope this child grows up and moves out of our house. You didn't think that. Well, maybe a little bit. But Mostly you thought, God, I hope this child is ready to launch. I hope this child has confidence. I hope this child has faith in God, and I hope they have the wisdom to choose to walk with God and to continue to learn and grow so that they can not just succeed in life, but thrive. Amen? That's right. And that's what we were looking for in that whole growth process. And spiritually, the same thing takes place, is that people choose to grow one step at a time. They move along in that process by making decisions. And would you read with me about what the Bible says about growth? 
Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He says, let us press on to maturity. He also says, leaving the elementary teachings. You went to elementary school and then you went on to the next stage. You didn't forget everything you learned in elementary school. You only forgot part of it. You built on that elementary education and you added to it. And that's what he's saying here is don't just start with a few of these things. Continue to grow in your Christian life. Pursue spiritual life and health and growth. And so today we look at four stages of growth. Some people think that they're actually just four different parts of the Christian life. I think they're actual stages. The first one is obviously a stage because you have to start somewhere. You have to start with making the trust transfer. The trust transfer. For me, I remember when that day happened. It's very defined in my mind. My Aunt Grace bribed me. She said, and my Aunt Grace can say this, you can't. She said, Kenny. Yeah, she can say Kenny. You can say Ken or Kenneth, but not Kenny. She said, Kenny, why don't you come over for dinner? And so I said, sure. And that was back in the days when Dad said, sure, you can ride your bike three miles over to Aunt Grace's house. And I rode over there, and I was hungry, and she was a great cook. And after we ate, we sat down in the living room, and I sat down on the left-hand side in that big stuffed chair, and she sat on the edge of the couch, and she asked me about going to church, and I said, yeah, I'd started going to church a while back, and she said, Kenny, have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? And I said, "Uh, no. And she said, well, do you know how? And I said, "Uh, no, I, I don't. And she said, could I share with you how you could know that? And I said, sure. And she shared that with me. And that day, I made an intentional choice to transfer my trust from whatever I was trusting in, going to church, looking like a good Christian boy, being a good boy, whatever that was, I transferred all my trust from that to Jesus Christ who died on the cross and paid the price for my sins. I remember that intentional transfer of trust. But I want to tell you, not much happened after that. I I went to church after that, but it wasn't like there was this massive change in my life. And nobody actually came alongside me for eight more years and told me, Ken, do you realize that you can grow in your Christian life? I was about 16 or 17 when that happened. Doug came alongside me. He was studying uh, Bible at a Bible college, and so he had all this Bible knowledge. And he, he knew me really well because he said, Ken, how would you like to meet Sunday nights and have ice cream and talk? And ice cream, I said, sign me up. And we got together, and here it, here it is, just a couple days ago, I thought about this. What did we actually study when we met? 
we studied a book called Guidebook to Discipleship. 35 years later, I still remember that book and some of the things that were in it. It made an impact in my life because someone was telling me and showing me how to grow spiritually in my Christian life. That next summer, a guy by the name of Ernie, who was a college student and had some training with one of those parachurch ministries, spent the summer, and he spent some time with me as well, talking about God and reading the Bible and discussing it. And that's when I started growing. When did it happen for you spiritually? When did you really start growing? Was it when you took your Bible out and really started reading it for you, for application? Was it when somebody came in your life, like happened for me, and said, hey, would you like to get together and just talk about life in the Bible? And how did it happen for you? Well, it happens somehow, and God uses a lot of ways, but it always starts with the initial trust transfer. Jesus said it this way, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and does what? Okay, let's try that one more time to get, you know, I know it's morning. Here's my word and believes. Thank you. You see, I went to church literally for years. And I heard all these, I'm sure they were good messages. I'm sure I heard them. But you see, I didn't believe. I just was there. I was a spectator at a church every week. Well, not quite every week. And I heard all these messages, but it really didn't change my life. You see, there's more to the Christian life than just information. There's actually a trust relationship that happens when you make the choice to transfer your trust from whatever you're trusting in to Jesus. And Jesus said that when he was here. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and hears the transfer that God does for you at that very moment and does not come into judgment. You see, you won't ever be judged. You're forgiven. But has passed out of death into life. And he gives you that. It's a new kind of life. It's a quality of life. It's, he provides everything you need in it to actually experience it. It's not something you make up, manufacture, or have to work hard to produce. Growth happens because God is working behind the scenes even when we're not asking. But he gives us enough rope to say, you can grow as fast as you want. I'm going to let you choose it. It's your choice. And every one of us has that opportunity to transfer that trust and to begin growing. There's this character in the New Testament. He's oftentimes labeled the rich young ruler. I haven't figured out the ruler part. I read it over and over and tried to figure that out. I missed it. But what I saw was a very wealthy, young, entrepreneurial, type A personality driver. That's the guy I read about. And he comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, 
what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And it made me laugh because you know what? I come from a performance-based background. And that's what this guy is doing right here. He's saying, tell me what to do. Give me a hoop to jump through. This guy's ready to jump through those hoops and get there. He's a type A. He's confident. He wants to do something. He wants to show Jesus that he's a good guy. But you see, you don't get into heaven by being a good guy, good gal. The way you get into heaven is through Jesus. Jesus said to the man, if you wish to be complete, which is another way of saying made whole, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and come follow me. The guy had made it financially. And we know that because a few verses later it says, and the guy went away very sad because he had much wealth. And so he was set on his portfolio. Maybe he was retired already. Maybe he was just playing with money at that point. But you see, Jesus knew that his trust was not in Christ. He knew that this guy's trust was in his capability to produce and make things happen. The majority of people are just like this guy. They think they're going to get to heaven by, what do I do next? Give me, give me something. I want to perform. And Jesus is saying to him, go sell it, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. He was helping the guy break the strings of inadequate trust. He was trusting in the wrong thing. And the man went away sad. But I have a good example for you here of someone who was really ready to transfer their trust, this time a, a bright businesswoman, an entrepreneur of her time. The Bible says that she was a woman who was involved in selling purple cloth, which indicates, because it was very rare, that she had a niche market and she was in a very profitable market. And she apparently had done well because she had a household and she had a house and she had all these things and her name was Lydia. And this woman named Lydia was a worshiper of God. She was just like the last guy we talked about. She was type A. She was, she was ambitious. She was hardworking. All those things. And it even says here that she was a worshiper of God. She was a theist, just like I was. Back as a young person, I believed there was a God. I wasn't a believer in Jesus. I was just a theist. Ninety percent of Americans believe there is a supernatural being. But that doesn't make you a believer nor a Christian. No, a transfer of trust has to happen. And Lydia made a decision to transfer her trust because here's what happened. She was listening and the Lord opened her heart, which is a way of saying that God was working behind the scenes to help her finally get it. That a relationship with God was not all this head knowledge she had from her past training, but it was an actual relationship based on trust that you enter into by choice. And we see how that happened. God opened her heart to the things spoken by Paul. She became a believer. 
And she and her household, see, Paul even ended up talking to her whole household. You, you, I could just hear her now. Okay, I, I, I believe, but I, would you talk to my family? Would you share this with my family? I want them to know about Jesus too. And so Paul and his entourage went and talked to her whole household, and they were all baptized because they all followed Jesus obediently, got baptized, and then she urged the whole entourage to come stay at her place. So she started investing in God's kingdom plan by helping it to grow by supporting it. Wow, this gal, she, she jumped in both feet. She had enough knowledge, but she didn't have the relationship, and she decided, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. Second stage, after you actually come into that relationship with Jesus, is to apply this grace thing that the Bible talks about. The Bible talks a lot about grace. Grace is God giving us what we couldn't get for ourselves. It's God divinely providing what you need. It's His incredible generosity to make things happen for you to make a place in heaven for you. But more than that, that's, that's future. Right here and now, to make your life rich and meaningful. That's the grace application that God has for us. Here's what the Scripture says, to grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think you're all growing in the knowledge, so I'm not even going to camp there, but I am going to camp on growing the grace. How else are you going to grow? Grace is God's resources to help you grow spiritually, and there's a lot of them. You have your Bible. If you don't have one, go to the Welcome Center. We have free Bibles. We want to give you one. Just start reading it. Start learning. Start growing. But growth here is more than knowledge because knowledge was the second thing that's mentioned. Grace here has to deal with experiencing the Christian life, implementing all those things and discovering how God works and to taste and to see that God is good. I don't know, sometimes it's hard for us to do that. Kind of like those of you who have a fear of flying. How many of you, if you had the money, it costs a lot, would like to fly into outer space with me? Yes? Wouldn't that be wild? Wouldn't that be something? But you see, if you have a fear of flying, if you have a hard time trusting other people, going into outer space isn't an option because you would have to trust thousands of people who designed that technological wonder that would shoot you up there in outer space. You would have to trust the pilot. You would have to trust all these people. Growing in grace says this, you can trust God. You can have a breakthrough. You can get over it. Whatever happened to you as a child, whatever happened to you in that relationship, wherever you got burned, whatever spiritual leader blew it and blew your trust level, guess what? Don't put your trust in them Put your trust in God. Ask Christ to grow you in this area and to give you a breakthrough. You've known for years that you've needed it. You just didn't know, how can I get it? How can I actually deal with this? How can I face this pain, this anger, this struggle, 
this lust, this, this mindset I have? How can I break out of that attitude? Grow in the grace, and that's how it's going to happen for you. And here's the good news about the Christian life, is that it just keeps growing. I can tell you that the day I accepted Christ as my Savior, I went home, and it was a blue sky day, one of those rare Pacific Northwest blue sky days in October. Now, I'm looking back 45 years, and I can still remember standing in front of the house and looking up in the blue sky and saying out loud, something's changed. I couldn't have told you intellectually what that was. Intuitively, I knew something had happened an hour earlier with Aunt Grace. I'd responded to Jesus, I'd transferred my trust, and something had changed, and I was just starting the journey. I was just a babe, and I needed to grow spiritually. But nobody came alongside and told me that the Christian life isn't just a decision, it's a process of growing and experiencing everything God has for you. And Peter tells us, grace and peace be what? Multiplied. Over and over again. Every day. Something new. It's a journey. It's an adventure with God. May it be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that, and do you really believe this? I had to ask myself this at a point in my Christian journey. Do you believe that His divine power has given you everything, not just some things, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called you by His own glory and excellence? Do you believe that God loves you personally that much. Good. There was a point at which I reached that stage where I asked myself, does he love me as an individual? Even though I'm flawed? But here it says, he's given me everything I need for life and godliness. I need to grow. And I got it. I realized I could keep growing and that God would even let me make mistakes and take me in. And then I read about this character named Peter in the Bible. God has a lot of type A people in the Bible. And here's another one, Peter. Jesus has a conversation with this guy before he blows it big time. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. See, Satan always likes to test people. He doesn't like to make them stronger. He wants to trip them up. He wants to keep them not growing. He likes to keep them stunted. And so Satan asks God for permission to put Peter through some kind of trial. And Jesus said, but I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail you. And you, when once again you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And you see, what happened later is that they came to the garden and they arrested Jesus at night and put him through a series of trials in the middle of the night. 
And Peter followed the entourage as they went from Caiaphas' place to some different locations around Jerusalem doing these trials. And Peter hung out at this one place with the servants and the others around a campfire. And three times Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. When people asked him, aren't you part of Jesus' group? Don't you know Jesus? Haven't I seen you with Jesus? Three times he said, no, I don't even know him. And Jesus had told Peter this in advance. And it says that when he denied him the third time, that Jesus was brought out of that building and their eyes met and Peter remembered these very words. Oh, oh, what have I done? And he went away and wept. But you see, Jesus had prepared Peter even for his failure. Does God know? Oh, sure, he knows in advance. He knows everything we're ever going to do, good and bad. And he told Peter in advance, when you have turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that amazing? You see, God's grace covers our mistakes. He just says to us, recognize it and turn back to me again, and then go start strengthening other people. Amazing. That's the grace of God in action. That's the grace of God that will take care of a lot of things that are holding you and I back today. Third stage of growing up is becoming equipped for service. And this is a very big area, but I'm just going to overview it. But you know, there's something about people who choose to go beyond sitting in a chair at church to serving God that puts them on the cutting edge of growth. You think about things differently, and you call out to God and say, God, okay, I'll serve you in children's church. I'll serve in the nursery. I'll serve in youth ministry. I'll be a mentor. I'll open my home up to a small group. I'll I'll, I'll even tell people about Jesus at work. Just many messages, note, but I'll talk to them. And all these ways of serving Him that just puts you on the cutting edge of risk. And it's very exciting, but it's also uncomfortable. We're all called to serve. Read with me. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now there's a contrast there. You can operate in the flesh And the flesh, as it's used there, is talking about your human capability to meet your own needs without God. See, that's how we live without Jesus. We just go through life making decisions. What do I want? What do I desire? We put ourselves number one and we make choices based on that. That's the flesh. That's not trusting God. But through love serving one another, that's an intentional choice. And so you can do that, and I've seen some of you do that. Some of you people are just, I love you guys, you're amazing. I watch some of you, you're just out there in the lobby, and you listen to people, and people open up to you, and it's, I see ministry happening. You're just listening and taking it in, and somehow these people go away feeling better because you listen to them. It's amazing. It's a God thing, right? 
And some of you, some of you, I know you go to work and you're just looking for opportunities to tell your coworkers about Jesus. And when you have that inappropriate opportunity and you take it, you're telling me these stories about how people are making decisions for Christ in the workplace. It's amazing. And then some of you are telling me how you started working with children's ministry next door here and you, and you started working with kids and that you just feel like, well, why didn't I do this years ago? Because you've just come alive and you love working with kids and, and the kids are responding to you. You're, you're connecting and they're learning about Jesus through you. And don't underestimate, everybody here is being watched. If you're sitting here and you're a child, there's another kid who's watching you and going, huh, I wonder if I could be like you. And there's some kid here looking at you teenagers going, I want to be like you. I wonder if I could be like them and know Jesus like they know him. And some teenagers are sitting here looking at you adults going, I wonder if I could relate with Jesus and trust him like I see you adults doing. We're looking. We're observing. And when we serve and love one another, it becomes an environment. It's it's that Christ-centered culture, that community where people are free to grow because they know they're loved. And that's an important culture to have. Some people come to this church just because out there in the work world, the politicking and the bickering and the backbiting is just too much. But when they come here, they sense that peace. They, they know the Holy Spirit's here, and they just love being around it because it's a whole different feel. And then when they see each of you starting to use your unique wiring from God, they actually see how Jesus operates through his people in the church. The Bible says, but to each one, not to just a couple of you. It says to each one. It can be said everyone who's a believer in Christ is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We refer to this as a spiritual gifting. That at the point you believe in Jesus, God gives you a gift to serve in the church. But if you've never been told that, you might just be sitting here every week and never serving. He's wired you not only to take in the grace of God, but then to give it away, to serve, to help other people. Notice it's for the common good. And so you impact people through using your gifting. If you don't know what it is, our staff would love to meet with you. Uh, Between the five staff people and the women's ministry and the great people that are in leadership, there's a bunch of people who can sit down and talk with you about your spiritual gifting and where would that fit in? How could you serve? Just go to the Welcome Center and fill out the little white uh, information card and we'd love to just sit down with you and, and just talk and try to figure it out. It's fun. Because when you discover your gifting, it's a pretty amazing. I remember when a guy by the name of Charlie said to me at church, hey, Ken, how would you like to go out and just shadow me? And I didn't want to, because <laughs> I knew what that would mean. I tried to avoid him. I tried to get out of it. I saw him at church the next week. I went the other way. He looked me up. He said, Ken, so what do you think? Would you like to shadow me for... And I said, yes, because I didn't have the guts to tell him, no, I don't want to. But I remember very distinctly, three weeks later, I discovered my spiritual gift. And it was one of those stunning moments in my life where I go, wow, what, what do I do with it now? What, what do you do with a gift? You give it away. 
you use it. We want to release you into the gifting that you've already received. We, we want to help you flourish. We want to have you have that same joy. 45 years ago, I transferred my trust to Jesus, and for 45 years, I've had this joy. Yeah, I've had some rough times. I've had some disappointments. I've had stress. I've had financial th- Yeah, all that stuff happens, but I've had this joy, and I want you. I've got to tell you about it. I want you to have that relationship and to start giving it away because God wants to give to you so much so that you can give to others so that they can have the joy too. Here's this young kid. Some think he was just very young, a little kid. His mom dedicated him in the Old Testament to God, and she said that she would give him to the Lord, and she did just that. She took him to the temple. Eli was the priest. Eli took him under his shadow. He he began mentoring him and training this kid on how to serve the Lord in the temple and all all that it meant and the significance of everything. And this kid hears this voice call out his name, and he thinks, okay, is that you, Samuel? Or Samuel says, is that you, Eli? And so he goes to Eli and asks him, well, yeah, what do you want? And Eli says, I didn't call you. And and it happens three times. And finally, Eli goes, the Lord's calling you, boy. (laughs) Paraphrase. The Lord's calling you. The Lord's trying to say something to you, son. Next time you hear it, say this and learn from it. And that started this young kid, Samuel, to be a great prophet and spokesman. And he discovered it from an early age with the help of Eli the priest. God still talks to people. It may not be inaudible. It may be that constant reminder in your mind of something, and you're going, why do I keep thinking of this? Am I supposed to do this? Is God trying to tell me? Yeah, God's trying to tell you something. Why is it this verse in the Bible stuck with you, and you can't get it off your mind? It's because the Holy Spirit is reminding you and wants to teach you, and you just need to stop and say with Samuel, Yes, Lord, what do you want me to learn and what would you like me to do? And to just be patiently waiting because sometimes God takes a lifetime to grow people. He's more patient than we are, in other words. And then there's this Romans 16 servant team. I can only give you a couple of the people in it. Phoebe. This lady is called a helper of many. Ladies, how would you like to have your name in the Bible and it to be said about you that you were a helper of many? What an honor. I'm looking forward to meeting Phoebe someday in heaven. She helped many. Maybe she had the gift of helps. She saw needs and she just came around quietly and met them. And then there's Priscilla and Aquila, a husband-wife team that served the Lord together. Couples, yeah? What do you think? How would you like to serve God together in ministry? Wouldn't that be cool for your marriage? Wouldn't that be fun? Yes. Priscilla and Aquila, it says two things about them. First, they risked their lives, both for Paul and for other believers, and they opened up their home to a small group. They had church at their home. Maybe you would like to do that. Maybe that's the way you would like to serve the Lord, is to open up your home. 
It doesn't matter that your home is immaculate. In fact, let's just say it's not about how nice your house is. Let's say it's just about people loving each other and getting together and just enjoying each other and God and praying together and caring about each other and producing this kind of community that is so healthy that the world needs. And then there was Mary, and she served the whole church. But we're moving on now to the fourth stage, the stage of ministry multiplier. Some call this the sage stage, but this is for every age. So if you're 10 years old here today, if you're 17 years old, if you're 28, whether you're 88, you can participate as a ministry multiplier because you reach a point, don't you, where in life you say, what's it all about? What is it all about? It's about impacting other people. It's what you put into other people's life. It's not how much money or how many homes or how much property you leave behind in an estate. It's how you affected people. The things which you have heard from me, Paul says, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to what kind of men? Faithful men. Not wealthy men. Not business people. But to people of character. People who are known for faithfulness. This is the word that combines a couple different concepts. It means not only that they have faith in God, but it means they have stick-to-itiveness in their faith. They have gumption, they have guts, they have chutzpah, whatever you call it. These are people that stand for something. They read their Bible, they believe God, and they live like that. And they stand for it. And they're faithful to it. And so they stick to it. These are the kind of people who are honest. When they say something, they do it. In fact, in business, that's what you are looking for. You're looking to hire people that keep their word, that are honest, that have this kind of character. It's who you are. It's who you are that produces what you do in serving people and ministering to them. And that's why he puts this emphasis on look for the people who are investing in their own character. Look for someone who values character, faithfulness, and all these other things that were mentioned. Look for them and start investing in them. Those are the people who will be able to teach others also. Here's Barnabas and Paul, and they're going at it in a good way. Yeah, I love it. The Bible is raw sometimes. It just lays out the problems. It shows the conflicts. And here you find Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas wanted to take a guy by the name of John called Mark along with them on this journey to go back to the churches that they had gone through on their first missionary journey through the Mediterranean. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And so Paul said, you know, he walked on this last journey. He walked away. I, I'm, we're done with him. No, no, that's it. And Barnabas said, and Barnabas was more of these encouraging, inspirational, nurturing types, he said, no, I, I want to take John Mark. You wonder why, don't you? Do you think it's because he saw potential? That he saw something in that man that said, you know what? He may have faltered back then, but you know, there, this 
guy is worth investing in. Which would you want? Would you want a Paul in your life? Or would you want a Barnabas? I'm guessing that if we took a vote, most people would go for Barnabas. How about this? How about having both in your life? Someone who's willing to straight up tell you the truth, because you need to hear the truth, but also a Barnabas who says it in a nicer, gentler way and believes that you have potential and helps you grow and move forward. Then there's this verse in Timothy where it said, I'm mindful of the sincere faith. Once again, there's, there's that character thing. That faith that's combined with sincere. Uh, the term is used in pottery. In high school, I actually enjoyed taking a pottery class. And I wasn't very good at, at making it uh, symmetrical. I was into more abstract pottery. I'll just say that. But then you cut it off and lifted it and, and uh, let it dry enough to where you could paint it. And then you put it in the kiln, and then the kiln went to high temperatures, and it exposed every fault in your work. And the term sincere means without holes, without hypocrisy. It's the concept of behind what you say and do, It's being the real thing. It's being authentic. It's being truthful. Because under pressure, you're always tested. And it shows what you really are. And so Paul is saying to this young Timothy, he's saying, I'm mindful of this sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. The first line of multiplying ministry starts with families. It start, how many grandmothers do we have here? Raise your hand. I'm looking for the grandmothers. Yay, grandmothers. Every mom, raise your hand. More hands this time. Yes. Do you see your potential? Do you see your power to change the world? Because this sincere faith that the Apostle Paul saw in this young man, Timothy, began with grandmother Lois and got passed down to mom, Eunice, and was instilled in this young man's life. You are doing something very valuable, moms. Dads, I don't know. Where's the dads here? I don't know. But Paul saw this quality coming down through his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And I'd suggest, men, you have just as much opportunity to show up and to do something great by instilling character and quality in your kids and your grandkids. Start where you're at. The opportunity is there. And so now we have the assessment time. If we're going to grow, it's always a little bit challenging and painful. Where are you at in the growth process of those four stages? Where are you primarily at? 
And as you look at those four stages, is there maybe a couple different stages where you said to yourself, huh, that's where I need to focus. Another question you'll want to ask is, what's in the way of my spiritual growth? With that uh, wealthy entrepreneur, it was his money, it was his capability, it was his ego, it was his performance-based thinking. What is it for you? Could be a hundred things. And then, what is God doing or allowing in your life to grow you? You see, He's worked behind the scenes. Has He allowed something to come in your life that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself? And are you ready to say, God? Kind of like that young guy Samuel, that little kid. Okay, God, what's this mean? And what do you want me to learn? And here I am. Here I am. Guide me. Teach me. Grow me. Make me stronger. And then the last question I think of for us is, what do we need to do or cooperate with to grow? And this is where we make our choices. You can grow. I wish someone would have told me that a long time ago. Just grow spiritually. Pursue it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for growth, even though it's a challenge, and I thank you for everyone here, wherever they're at. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that if there's someone here who wants to transfer their trust from themselves, their capabilities, their performance, their whatever that they thought would get them into heaven, and just transfer their trust to you, Jesus, I pray that you just open their heart like you did Lydia, and that it would happen for them right today. And if you want that to happen, just raise your hand right now. I'm just going to pray for you. Yeah, just raise your hand if you want to. Yes? Okay. Yes. Anyone else want to make that transfer of trust? Good. Yes. Yes. And so we pray this together. Dear Jesus, forgive me for I'm not perfect. Take me into your forever family. Forgive me of my sins through Jesus and make me whole. Amen. And now I want to tell you one last story about Charlie. Charlie's the guy that approached me when I was a teenager, invited me to shadow him in ministry. Uh, he taught me a lot. He taught me a lot so much so that one day I decided I would go look at a Bible college and think about studying the Bible and getting a little more education. I ended up doing that and ended up doing that for quite a while. And then one day I got a phone call saying that Charlie had passed away. And I said, I'll be there. I'll drive. I'll be there. I'll make it happen. And I went there and... and the church had an auditorium probably about this size, but they couldn't meet there because, you see, too many people were going to come. So they had to use a gymnasium. And the gymnasium was standing room only. And it was a great service, and it was very positive and encouraging. Charlie had touched thousands of people's lives. But it's what happened at the very end that forever has impacted me. The pastor on the stage said, I'd like for everyone who's in part-time or full-time ministry 
because of Charlie's influence, would you please just come up here on the stage with me? And clear across the stage two rows deep of people were in ministry because Charlie had taken the time, just like he did with me, to say, hey, do you want to shadow with me? Do you want to go just go out with me and help visit people? Do you want to go out with me? You can just listen while I talk to someone about Jesus. And dozens and dozens of people's lives became committed to God's kingdom-building purposes. And you can be one of those kind of people. That's all I have to say.